Welcome to the Celebration Community Church Podcast, where we exist to meet God, grow in Him, and serve through Him. podcast. Derek, what is your coffee beverage for this morning? Uh, my go-to is Americano, so just a little espresso and water. From my perspective, if a coffee shop can make a good Americano, then they can probably do a lot of other stuff well. So I've actually had a couple of friends that like work in coffee shops, yes. and they always say it's, it's either like a cappuccino uh-huh. or something something with the espresso to yeah. see how well they can actually make coffee. Uh-huh. I'm you know, I'm not that particular and it's because I just don't know. Maybe I have the palate of like a 6-year-old or something like that uh-huh. where I just can't tell you like, "Oh, this coffee is supposed to be fruity." Nah, yeah. it kind of tastes like dirt to me. I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm more of a coffee snob than I want to be, I think. Simply from helping start the coffee bar here at the church, I learned a lot more about coffee and machines and stuff than I wanted to. But I'm not I'm not really that big a snob when it comes to drinking it. Like if we're stopping at a gas station and I need coffee, if it tastes like dirty water, hey, as long as it's got caffeine, I'm fine. So I I maybe I'm selectively snobby. I'm selectively snobby at home. I have certain things that I like and ways that I make my coffee, but if it when it boils down to it, if the choice is coffee or no coffee, I'm going with coffee. I always mention that I know enough about pretty much everything to get me in trouble <laughs> right. with the people who actually know something. Yeah. So like I'll I'll say something about coffee or um I don't know, something else that someone gets snobby about. Yeah. And then if they go into like their diatribe about how their opinions are, are very, <laughs> very informed, then I'm just like, all right, great. I'm way over my head. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. You kind of back yourself into a corner, huh? Yes. Regardless of whether you drink Americanos or um, cowboy coffee or frou-frou frappuccinos, yes. one of the nice things about coffee is that it leads to deeper conversations. And that's something that, that I really like about the drink itself is, is not that it makes you feel all wiry and jittery and, and yeah. stimulated and everything, but there's a, a really interesting atmosphere around good coffee mm-hmm. that allows conversation to happen and a little bit more freely, you know, you're, you're a little bit more open. Typically, if it's in a beautiful, a beautiful space, yeah. you feel a little bit more introspective about that. And one of the things that we're going over on, on this podcast is, is we're going over stories. Yeah. And, you know, coffee is a medium over which stories can be told. And as a Christian, Derek, why do you think that stories are something that's so important? You know, I've, I've always said, um, starting out in youth ministry, one of the things I'd always talk with the youth about was, you know, when they'd be like, well, I want to talk to my friends about my faith or about Jesus, but I don't, I don't really know what all's in the Bible. I don't really know all the answers to everything. And what I would tell them is, tell them your story. Tell them how you've been impacted by Jesus. Uh, because when it boils down to it, no matter how much someone knows, no matter how much someone wants to argue with you, they can't argue what your experience has been. They can't argue what your story is. And so as you tell your story and how, how you feel God has impacted your life, they can't take that away. And so telling your story is such a huge part of it because, you know, the Bible's full of stories. Yeah. 
of of Jesus impacting people, of people preparing for Jesus, of people of people anticipating the return of Jesus. And so there's there's stories all throughout Scripture that are so important, and and God's still writing stories today in our lives. And right. so it's so important for us to share those because, um, you know, for me as a as a college student. Um, when I came up to celebration here, I went to um, a church service and heard Kyle talk a little bit about Pastor Kyle um, at at a service about his story, and there were some similarities. And then I went to a night at Encounter, and the person up there sharing their testimony literally sounded like they were telling my story that I was walking through currently and what I was searching for. And so there's so much power in being able to share our stories and know that that God's at work in the midst of our life. And as we share our stories, as people find out our stories, they can relate to those stories um, in incredible ways. Yeah, I think that that's so important to mention that the Bible itself is written in narrative form. For, right. the, for the large majority of the scriptures, you're not just hearing, do this, do this, do this all the time, though right. that is uh, within the the library of the Bible. However, most of it is is narrative based. Right. This person went here and did this thing. Yeah. Um, so, first and foremost, the Bible is in narrative fashion, right. um, and it tells us an alternate story of the way that we experience things and and a route moving forward. I know that there's there's a scripture that kind of was a cliche in my youth group, and it was 1 Peter 3.15, and it said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Yeah. And it, it mentions as a caveat to do this with gentleness and respect. Uh-huh. And I sometimes have seen Christians go out and, and tell the story of the gospel, and it's just like the repent sinners kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I, I can remember anecdotes of going to sports games, and there's always that one preacher that will ignore everybody else and and will tell the, the the story of the gospel regardless of what people are doing to receive that story. Right. Uh, and I, I was always like, there has to be a better way than this. Mm-hmm. And a story shared among people of, of common um, of, of agreement and, and belief it can be a really, really powerful thing. It can be a, a different way to see the work of God, even when you may not be experiencing it in your life. And just innate to the DNA of Celebration Community Church has, in my experience, always been this idea of, of wanting to tell people's stories, whether yeah. they be a congregant or a staff member or um, anything like that. You know, a story is a very powerful thing. And we have a story today uh, about one of our staff members, and that's Cale Bloom. And he's going to talk about his uh, his growing up as a pastor's kid and the tension that comes with that. His preparation as a worship pastor who, of, of the worship pastors that I've experienced, Cale is probably my, spirit, my favorite. Um, <laughs> then... He's going to talk about moving to Wichita and the process by which he came back to um, what he calls home at Celebration, yeah. and then the the loss of his dad and how his faith has changed and has been tested through that process. So we hope that you uh, are just edified by this story of faith from Kale. Here with Kale Bloom. 
Kale, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm I'm doing pretty well. Kale, I have a, a question, and there's somewhat of a conspiracy theory that I'd like your uh, opinion on. Uh-oh. So, there is a certain character at church named Cletus Corncraver. Yes. Doesn't he bear a striking resemblance to Pastor Derek? It is freakishly similar. I, Uncanny. But the thing is, is I've never seen them in the same place at the same time. That's true, Ooh. honestly. And that further and so, helps with my conspiracy theory that they are the same person. Th- an argument could be made that they are. And then, you know, Pastor Derek makes comments during his sermon, like, I can't believe we just did that, that that makes me think that... Maybe it's like a parallel universe kind of thing. And <laughs> Cletus Corncraper has figured one, out two, how right. to pass interdimensionally in between those two things. Well, if he has, he needs to patent that. And <laughs> That's, that is very true. Make a whole bunch of money. Maybe he's making a whole bunch of money in his alternate universe. Perhaps. <laughs> oh, my... <laughs> Derek, any thoughts on that? <laughs> I, I plead the fifth. <laughs> he hasn't taught you the secret yet. So it's okay. I mean, his silence is deafening. That's right. That's, that's, a, that's an answer in itself. Kale, you have been on the staff for a very, very long time. I it's have. in fact you uh, were the person who first helped me to start serving beyond attending church. So I, I kind of have a feeling of like, oh, how the tables have turned right, right. now because I get to put you on the, on the. No hair and. Just this awkward, skinny cross-country runner. It was a different time in my life. I'd like to say I've matured from then, but... Well... I'm not, I'm not going that's, to. That's a hard okay. sell. It's a hard <laughs> sell. So let's, let's just start ver- at the very beginning, okay? All right. So you grew up about an hour, a little bit over an hour away from here. I did. Did you grow up closer to the exit 70 or the exit 76 um, part of Oakley? You know, honestly, I I'm probably closer to the 76 because like as you're driving on interstate between the two exits, mm-hmm. if you look to the left, you can see like my dad's church and we lived just like on the other side of the block from from my dad's church. And so right there by the water tower and everything. So, I mean, no one else knows what I'm talking about. But as you're driving down the interstate, there's a tent looking building. Um, How close were you to Wheatfield, Jesus? People probably might know that. Um, uh, 20 miles east. Yeah. 23 yeah. miles east to that be specific. Was... That's exit 53 with the Oasis. On oh, the that's right. I don't okay. even know why I'm being asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly Nathan knows. My yeah, expertise that, that, is on I-70. Jesus is in Colby. That's right. That is Colby. So, but yeah, if you're driving down interstate and like you, you're in between the two exits there at Oakley, there's a, it's, the building is called a, uh, a sprung structure. Um, so it's, it's, uh, we actually looked at building one here before I came on staff, but it's like a canvas kind of material okay. and it has an exoskeleton and that's what, that's what my, my dad's church, that's what, that's my dad's church. So the whole, the whole way, one of the, one of the ways I came on staff is I had, and we'll, we'll get to this in a little bit, but I had graduated from school in Colorado Springs and I was in Oakley um, working and just trying to figure out what, what my next step was going to be, whether it was going to be going into ministry or go back to school or just kind of what my next step was. And Pastor Kyle and Pastor Brant came to Oakley to check out my dad's church because they were considered that we were getting ready for phase two here at the church, which now includes the gym and where our staff officing is and things like that. And my dad had just had this building built. So they came to check it out. And while we were there, and I had gone through a series of interviews with 
with the church. And so while we were in the sanctuary of my dad's church, they, they sit down with me and was like, how would you like to be the next worship leader at Celebration Community Church? And Please I, tell me that Pastor Kyle sat you down and said, Kale Bloom, I've got good news for you. He did not. Oh, man, no, that was a missed I, opportunity. I didn't get the, I didn't get the uh, good news for you. So yeah, so then um, after that conversation, I accepted the position, went back to my... <laughs> Went back to my mom and dad's icy trailer because it was the, during the fair week. You know, nice. fairs fairs are a big thing in Western Kansas. Went back to the fair and I was just kind of like, um, so I just got hired as a worship leader <laughs> and I'm moving to Hayes. And they're like, all right, congratulations. And they continue to do their icy thing and... Fair week, you got to make the money. Right, right. So <laughs> was it a... a- the response that you were looking for from them to just continue in their well, I mean, making? I I think they were finally just like, yes, get out of my house, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but no, they were they were excited, um, yeah. and and they knew that this was an option um, through through some connections that we had here um, with Chase and Melanie Sutton, mm-hmm. who was Melanie was Brant's secretary for. A long, long time. time. Melanie's parents go to, or what was my dad's church, which is my brother's church now in Oakley, and so there was there was just kind of this interweaving of of stories and relationships that kind of led from one thing to another and allowed me to be hired here. Church has been obviously one of the integral parts of your shaping as a person. Right. So. You know, there's a lot of talk about the proverbial pastor's kid. Yes. Um, talk about the difficulties and the benefits that you find looking back at it now from being um, so involved in the church, almost to in a, an obligatory uh, kind of role. Yeah, I, I think you know the you have the prototypical pastor's kid. You know, and and we like even in in my own family, um, you kind of have the different variations of that. Obviously, your brother is preaching uh, at your dad's church right. now, but you have several others. I, I have I have two brothers and two sisters, some of which are in ministry, some of which are aren't. And so I I, I think it's just kind of this weird balance that there's there is the you're the pastor's kid, so therefore every decision you make and every mistake that you make, you know, it, it seems to be magnified to a certain extent. Um, especially in a small community, because everybody knows everybody, um, and so you have that that tension as well. But I mean, ministry was only something that I thought I would go into. It wasn't always something that I wanted to go into, but I thought that, like, well, my dad's a pastor, so that kind of means that I'm going to be in ministry. I think I don't know. And, and ministry is this weird thing where, like, if your dad's a plumber, like, you're not necessarily like oh, I'm going to go be a plumber. Like, I don't know. But ministry has this kind of I don't know kind of connotation to it that it, it does at times feel obligatory because my dad was in ministry that, that therefore that I would be my next step. But my parents did a really good job of, of encouraging me to that, that wouldn't have to be my only path. And yeah. so, you know, graduated high school and then I, I decided to go out to Colorado Springs to a worship leading um, academy training facility. That sounds weird. You're running the 40 yard dash right. with your guitar yeah. in hand. Yeah. <laughs> well, we all know that's not true. Um, but to the, to the school of worship. And so, yeah. I mean, it, and it was just practical theology and worship leadership application is basically what that was. But yeah, I mean, being, being a pastor's kid is kind of a weird balance tension that everything, like, it, it does feel like every, everything you do is under a microscope. And I remember even like, like we would do football team meals and, and you know, the like, okay, I was going to pray. I'm like, oh. Okay, like you, it, it, it yeah. just automatically assumed that because you're the pastor's kid, you're the 
you're the most Christian kid in the circle, which right. wasn't always true. You mentioned that there are variations of the different pastors' kids that you would see. And I think that the two the two ends that people probably gravitate toward on the spectrum is the the ultra rebellious right and the ultra religious, right? So in a short and very non-nuanced way, what where would you feel like you fa- fell on that spectrum for for growing up? I mean, if 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 we're looking at it from left to right, the left is very rebellious and and just like fully against everything that that we you know grew up learning or whatever how you want to word that if that's left and then to the right is ultra conservative you know like wearing the you know the choir robe to, to school kind of kind of feel <laughs> <laughs> for halloween at least right right um i was i wasn't you know i would probably say i was probably 75% to the right i i i knew like what was right and what was wrong um i i i, I wasn't I wasn't a rule breaker, you know, I, I, it just wasn't like, I wanted to honor my parents, um, and, and what I was doing. And yes, there are things that I, that I did and made choices that, that didn't reflect that. But I think that's also part of growing up and learning and and owning your own mistakes and, and then learning from them as you, as you progress. But I, I, I wouldn't say I fell on, on the extreme sides of either, either you know either side of that scale i want to jump ahead for just a second before we move ahead in your story of as we're talking about this pastor's kid thing what's what's something that growing up you know you said you had had parents that were um you know very supportive and and understanding of of that role for you and not forcing you into ministry that type of thing what is something you've taken now that you have kids yourself and you've known what it's like to be a pastor's kid. You have kids, and 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 they're seeing you being involved in ministry, and and kind of have that same expectation put on them. What has what's something that's been vital for you, or you feel is important for your kids to understand having their father in ministry, um, to not have that that pressure put right. on them. I think I think just the understanding that it's okay to make mistakes. There's mm-hmm. there's perfection is is nothing is something we're not going to obtain. And so I think I think being willing to try something and even if you fail at it, you still made an effort at it. Yeah. Um. You know. And 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 both of my boys especially like if they do something they want to do it right the first time, which is which is a great mentality to have. You know, it, it's a it's a great to be able to pursue that excellence. But at the same time, I don't want that to. I don't want that to become like if I've tried it once and I failed, then I'm not. I'm not good at it. Yeah, and, and that's one thing that my my parents had really like, like try new things. You know, whether it's whether it's sports or whether it's music or what you know whatever it might be. And even if you fail at it, there's there's still room for growth. You can you can take steps to become better at that versus a one and done kind of mentality. Sure. And so I I think that's one thing that we've tried to instill into our kids is that that try new things and what you know and it might be even something as simple as like a new food you know like just something small and minute but but you're always you're just you're constantly trying to find new things and find things that you can succeed at um that that help you kind of figure out what long term you feel like you can set yourself up for success in and I, and I think in turn that w- that will help them to understand to figure out who they are and what they like and what they appreciate about being unique which then in turn hopefully will encourage them that 
they they're not they're not a follower of Jesus just because dad's in ministry. Right. But this is something they can learn for themselves and they can understand faith for themselves as well. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that like one of the big things that I had to learn as well cuz it's very easy to ride on the spiritual coattails of your parents, sure. especially as pastor's kids. Yeah. Even even through like high school and even into the midst of of my ministry training, you know, that's one thing that I really discovered is that that a lot of a lot of my faith was built on riding the coattails of my parents. Yeah. Do you mean that in practice or in specific beliefs that you held? Probably a little bit of both. Um, mm-hmm. Probably more in practice than beliefs. Mm-hmm. And over the last several years, my my beliefs have kind of fine tuned and changed a little bit. Just as, and we'll get into this a, a little bit more with my, especially with my dad's illness. But but it, it's very easy just to coast through your faith or with your faith, especially when your parents are in ministry. That that you kind of feel like that's good enough. It's such Um, a normative part of your routine. Right. It never becomes, I I, never is a strong word that it is easy for you to just walk through the motion of it. It becomes without finding some sort of substance behind it. Right. Yeah. A lot of it becomes muscle memory. And, and that even, even now, like I have to, because, because of being in ministry is such an odd thing. And, you know, we're, we're, and, and we all, we all, understand this that we're you know we're constantly at the church and even on Sunday mornings leading worship you know working behind the scenes or even from the platform I have to stop and really intentionally focus on either the words that we're singing or the scripture that's being read or whatever it is because it's very easy for me just to become relaxed in that mm-hmm. and to, just to kind of let it I mean for you know proverbially go in one ear and out the other just because I've I've sung this song so many times, or I've heard this scripture so many times that that I can't learn anything new from it, which isn't the truth. But so it, it's it's very easy just to let that go over my head, or just kind of be ignored, rather than intentionally focusing on those lyrics or scriptures or points or something like that. It, it's something that I still have to remind myself to do, so I don't get passive in my faith. We've kind of made it to the point where Oakley, see you later, Plainsman. Yeah, I'm heading to the big city, Colorado Springs. Right. Talk about the most influential thing that has stayed with you because that that was a, a significant amount of time ago. Not dating. Yeah. I'm not making you sound old or anything like that. It's so true. Don't worry about that. But over time, our memory of our training or whatever that may be fades. But w- there are probably things that still stick th- with you through that experience. What are some of the things that you would find most beneficial from the Worship Leader Academy that you went to? Well, I, I think just some of what one, just some of the connections that you make, and 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 you both understand this as well from you know being in college that that you make those lifelong friendships, and so so the relationship side of it was was huge. You know, when when I was at, at New Life, this was all pre Ted Haggard scandal, you know, the whole right. bit, and so their culture was significantly different then than it is now. But I but I think the the one thing that that I really took away, you know, the the theology was great um, and I learned a lot from it, but just just the applicable worship leader training they give you there is is phenomenal. You know, being able to to lead worship but to do it effectively and to do it and to do it well and to do it with excellence. I mean, there there are a lot of things that I took away from from the school, but you know, I I fancied myself as a pretty decent vocalist when I went there, but then I, I came back and, and a lot of this has been things that I've learned since being there and being in ministry. There's a difference between being a really good vocalist and being 
an effective worship leader. Obviously, you have to sing well in order to be an right. effective worship leader. Like you know, you don't want to create a distraction. But but I think there's 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 a, such a significant difference between just being a good musician and a good vocalist versus being an effective worship leader. And I think that's that's what they helped me to learn how to do. What do you think is the the biggest difference in between being an accomplished musician and an effective worship leader? You can train to be an effective musician and an effective vocalist. To some degree, I do believe that to be an effective uh, worship leader, that it's, it's a lot of it's based on a calling. And I know that's kind of this word we throw out there that that has kind of this weird connotation behind it. But But I think one, I think it's relationship. I think it's relationally based that that you connect with your team and that you help build your team and you grow your team. But but I think it's also just in those moments where you can be singing a song, but then you can you can you know, you have a whether it's a scripture or um, something you know personally that you can say or something like that 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 helps tie the song away from the brain into the heart. I, I think there's there's those moments that are that are very very holy. You know, you have those those holy moments that that we get to to be a part of, and and I think a lot of it is that that people people connect with music in such a different way than they connect with anything else. Music is this universal language that that regardless of of what your background is or what even language you speak, you know, music is that kind of that universal leveling levels the playing field a little bit. And so I think to to impact somebody on a on a musical level. I think I think there's something special about that, um, and then to be able to be able to tie that to something they're experiencing personally and spiritually, and and being able to have an impact in that. You know, I remember even I mean, how long has it been since Jordan passed away? That was two thousand. Gosh, I don't know. I think it's nine. Been, I was gonna say I was gonna say eleven or twelve years. Okay, so I mean, even that, like, there, I I still like. I, I, I still let Rick Claiborne know when I'm singing how he loves. Yeah. Just because there's such a there's a specific impact that song has on on him. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and, and and so even even significant moments like that that I get to be a part of, um, and that I get to help people heal through. You know, uh, Rick and I have had several conversations about how how just me being in that worship leader role at that time helped in his healing process mm-hmm. from his daughter passing away. You know, being a part of those moments is incredibly special. And it wasn't because I was a good vocalist or a good musician. It was because I was in such a place for such a time to help in that specific moment. I, th- and, I think that comment right there, Kale, is is what makes the difference between the talented musician or vocalist and and the worship leader is is the humility you just said right there. Of it's not because I was this super talented person. It was because this is where God needed me and used me right at that point. I think that's such a huge thing, the heart and the humility of the person leading. Because if it's if it's not that, then it's a performance. Right. And so I think that the heart behind why you're doing what you're doing, the humility of this allowing God to use what he's gifted you with in these moments is is what really sets apart a performer from a worship leader. Yeah. And and and, and, and there's such a fine line between performing and leading worship. Because yeah, you still want to do it with excellence. You still want to do it with excellence. And you're on an elevated platform. Right. Where everyone's gonna see you, where everyone's going to hear you, your voice is amplified, 
um, you know, it, it's very easy to to move from that worship leader mentality to a performer mentality. Um, and even now, like since I, I haven't been leading worship on a consistent basis for almost six years now, um, you know, even as a fill-in, I, I really have to I really have to guard myself against like, oh, I get to lead worship is the kale show now. Um, but that, that's one, that's one mentality I don't want to get myself into as, as I'm leading worship because then it becomes about me. Um, and it can, becomes about how I sing a song or how I play the guitar or whatever, rather than the, 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 the part of the service that I get to have a part in pointing to Jesus. Yeah. Post Colorado Springs, we've kind of heard about your recruitment to the worship leading position at Celebration right. Community Church. When I started volunteering under you, it was abundantly clear to me that worship leader or worship director or whatever your title was did not fully encompass all of your responsibilities. <laughs> so maybe talk about a couple of those responsibilities, and then let's talk about the the thing that happened underneath them, which is just getting tired of having so much responsibility. And okay. So when I first came on staff, I was 19 years old. Um, and that was in 2005. And as a 19 year old, you kind of come in and you think, you know, everything about everything. Like, Oh, like my dad was in ministry. Like I kind of know behind the scenes of a church. And then, and then you get into like real life application, like, Holy crap, I don't know what I'm doing or anything about anything. And so one, I'm really grateful for, for the leadership that we had in place then to, to be patient with me and to, to give me the tools and the accountability and just the relationship to grow in, in that role. Um, and so, I mean, I, I was, I was part-time until 2000 eight or nine. Actually, I think it was probably nine because Isaac was born in 2008 and I was part-time then. And so it was probably 2009 that I actually came on staff full-time. And the the way the, the way the church was structured is that I needed to, like, we, the church didn't feel or the board or whoever it was, it doesn't really matter, didn't really see that the worship leader as a full-time position. So you kind of had to add a couple different other responsibilities onto that in order to justify full-time salary, if that makes sense. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, there for a season, I was the worship leader, and then Patrick McGinnis and I took over Encounter mm-hmm. for a while. So we were doing that. And then, you know, the, the radio station that we had back in the day, the station manager position came open. And so um, I internally applied for it. And, and, you know, and it was a natural fit being the music guy at the church to be one of the guy you know, the guy that kind of took the next step with the radio station. So, you know, wearing all these different hats and then, you know, just even the the unseen or un, unpaid, you know, quote unquote, positions of you know, editing videos and, you know, social media was still was was becoming more and more of a of a platform that we could use. And so kind of taking that on, it's a lot to juggle during the week and to still to lead authentically over a weekend. So let's go over that list of of responsibilities. <laughs> okay. So worship leader. Yep. Radio station manager. Yep. Tech director. Yep. 
I've, yeah, tech director. Social media manager. Yep. And then being responsible. I don't know what the word would be. Videographer and video editor. Yep. So filming all the All the while and... having a relatively newborn son. Yep. Being a father, <laughs> being a, a husband, and, you know, like trying to get a little bit of sleep at night. Yeah, a little you know. bit. And, and all of these video, social media, all of that stuff, just at the beginning stages of what is going to be a huge boom in how churches operate and right. communicate. Yeah. And with no one having the idea of how big it was going to become at the time. That's like, hey, we need somebody to like once a week get on this page and say, hi, church, how you doing? Like, right. That's what Facebook was at that point. Right. Like it was well, very and, different. Yeah, and, and, and the videos we're making, they were just internal videos. It was announcement videos and sure. promo videos. And, um, you know, one of the other things that I oversaw, I I, I am not a handyman. Um, I think, you know, if... <laughs> If anybody were to describe me in three words, handyman would not be one of those hundred words. Um, but but like you know, set design was was also right. a piece of that, just because it was part of the the tech and the production and things like that. Yeah. Um, and and so you combine all these things together, and I mean, it's just a, it's a lot to try to right. juggle and, and to do well. Right. You know, there, there's a difference in 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 doing them to where they get done and doing them with excellence. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it was, it was a, there was, it was a lot to handle during a week. And especially, you know, Isaac was born in 2008. Um, Sarah and I had only gotten married in 2006. And so we're still trying to figure out what married life looks like with a child. Um, and then you add all the all church responsibilities. Sarah's working a full-time job. Like there was just a lot of moving parts that you kind of have to wrap your mind around. Yeah. So you started. To, I'm sorry for kind of derailing you and going back to just summarize all your responsibilities. You're right. But you you started to say that it made it hard to lead authentically. Mm -hmm. What is that? Tell me about that. I think you know when when you're when when your focus is is scattered across so many responsibilities. You know we we weren't you know live streaming wasn't a thing um, way back then. Um, back in my day, right. Um, you know, live stream wasn't a thing. So, but, but you're worried about, you know, making sure that all of your people are there, you know, whether it be the worship team, the tech team, um, you know, you're, you're making sure that all of the, all the slides are incorrectly. Uh, Pastor Kyle was notorious for making changes on Sunday morning. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, he would send his notes out and then on Sunday morning, he'd come in with a whole new outline at times, sometimes, and we'd, you know, make, make a bunch of changes there you know, doing, doing rehearsal, you know, and, and then, you know, making sure that all the elements are there. It's really easy just to lead, just to get it done and just sure. to be, just to get through the week or to get through the weekend. And, and we were, we were running multiple services at that time. Yeah. You know? Um, and so, so you're just, you're just leading to get, to get done. It's just another task that you've yeah, got. Yeah, exactly. There's just so many of them. Right. Um, you know, and then and then so then you fast forward a couple a couple years, we start start a second venue within the same building, and so now your responsibilities are doubled, you know, and you're either having to lead in multiple rooms or oversee a completely different team, um, and and worship leader, and still maintaining the excellence that that people are accustomed to, and that you want to set the bar at for the church just as a whole. You know, and then that that compounds that 
so much more because you're basically doubling your work for a weekend. And so then it's just so much easier. You know, it's even then easier to just to get through the weekend and then you know, rest on Monday or whatever it is rather than trying to lead authentically and to help people experience experience Jesus through music. It's so much easier. It, it's not so much easier. It's, it's very easy and it's a v- very easy excuse just to get through it and be done. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of leads you to a point where you you look other places. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe a grass is greener kind of mentality. Um, maybe something that's objectively good. And then you find a, a job doing something in, in Wichita. Right. So kind of talk about one, the the move to Wichita, and then what brought you back. Sure. So in 2012, um, I mean, we were kind of at the, at, at that point, we were as big as we'd ever been um, as a church, you know, running multiple services over a weekend. I don't remember how many services we were doing. We were probably doing two in the gym and one in the worship center, maybe two and two. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, and I think at that point, we might have even had a Sunday night maybe. service going. So there might have been five yeah, services. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember. Um. And so, you know, I, I, I was just kind of looking around to see what, what was around, um, you know, and, and, and a lot of, a lot of this goes back to the mentality of being from Oakley. Hayes was never intended to be the final destination mm-hmm. for my life. You know, like if you went to Hayes for school, there was something like you, like one, like you were like not a good student. And so you were just like, like it was kind of seen as like a four year community college. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, ouch. No, no, I, I, I'm not saying that it is. Um, no, I'm taking it that it okay, is. Okay. Well, you, said. you do that. Okay. Um, you know, but like, I went to Fort Hayes, Kale. I know you, you think did. that I'm a community college. Kind no, of guy? you're one of the smartest people that I know. So, <laughs> um, I wasn't fishing for compliments there. I was just trying to grill you, but, um, I mean, I'll take it. Yeah, sure. And so being from Oakley, like Hayes was never like, intended to be right. the the place where you grow roots and like that was just kind of either you pass through it or you go to college and then you move on to the next thing and and so I, I you know I was always kind of just like you know I wonder what else is out there yeah and um you know kind of got to the point that I was I was ready to make a move um just to one to pr- better provide for my family mm-hmm. um and I think we can all understand and agree that if you know, I'm going to be rich. It's not going to be in ministry. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's just never, that's never going to be a thing. Um, and so I, a friend of mine, um, worked at a church in, in Wichita and I saw that they had an j- open position. And so I just texted him. I was like, Hey, this is super random. Um, but tell me about this position that you guys are trying to create. And he was the youth pastor there. And so he kind of told me kind of what, what the position was and what they were hoping to do um, and said, Hey, you know, with, with the experience that you've had at celebration and starting what was, you know, at the edge services and things like that, we think like you would probably be a pretty good fit. Like if you want to apply, I was like, sure, why not? Like I can always say no. And so applied, uh, did an in-person interview, led worship form and they offered me a job two days later. Even like on the on the drive home from Wichita back to Hayes, lady calls me and is like, "Hey, we really liked your 
uh, interview and and your your worship leading audition, um, you'll be hearing from us in the next day or two. Next day or two rolls around, get a phone call. Hey, um, you know, offer you a position. Um, here's here's all the you know the salary package and the whole bit. And and so then like it, it it's you know looking is always nice, but then when you have to make a decision is like where like <laughs> you yeah. want to have a heart attack. So um, after after Sarah and I talked about it, and we prayed about it for a couple of days and just took some time to sit on it and just make sure that it was a move we wanted to make um, because by then we had we had both boys um, and uh, and. A year before that, we had just bought a new house. Like, like we were kind of start, starting to establish roots here in Hayes, but at the same time, just kind of having that that idea to move. And so, um, so we we decided to move. And I remember walking into Pastor Kyle's office um, with Sarah, and uh, and we sit down and we say something. He goes, "So where are you moving to?" Like, like he, like it was just, it was just kind of one of those things. Like he, you know, obviously yeah. Sarah and I are there to talk to him together and I don't remember exactly how the conversation went, but it was something along the lines of, so where are you guys going? And so we said, you know, we kind of talked to him and, and it kind of explained what the situation was. And so what, what Wichita hired me to do was to come into a traditional church and to start a modern worship experience. Um, they had, Unbeknownst to me, and and this, there were some really weird things that happened in Wichita. Um, a lot of things that I'm trying to think how to how to say this nicely and still honor honor those. Um, there were a lot of things that were said that either didn't happen or happened in a different way than what was explained. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that they they didn't mention or failed to mention, or I, maybe I didn't ask, I should have asked, but they had tried to start one of these, um, services a couple different times and it never, never happened. And so their, their solution was just to continue to either throw money at it or whatever. And so, I mean, and, and they, they did a lot of things. They, you know, we renovated an entire gymnasium for this space, you know, flooring stage, I mean, State of the art tech. I mean, all all these things, and it was great. And like we launched Easter of fourteen, um, had like two hundred fifty people there, which was great. Like, which was more than we ever anticipated. Um, and and it was and it was going well. Everything everything was going well. Um, so my role there was was the venue leader. So basically, like the campus pastor, um, and worship leader. So I oversaw the entire venue. Uh, met with senior leadership to talk about our venue and um, all, all these different things, um, and, and so everything everything was going really well. I, I think that the primary thing that we didn't like about Wichita is that we lived in Goddard, mm-hmm. and the church that I was working at was downtown, and my wife worked in East Wichita, so we're driving thirty minutes to an hour every right. day to to get to work, you know. Th- and 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 you guys know those like bigger cities offer more amenities, and so right. you have you have the luxury of being able to eat at Chick Fil A, you know, six days a week, um, if if you choose to do so. Um, Nathan would not. Nathan would not. I would not. Well, not the um, chicken anyway. You can have the bread and the pickles and the lemonade. Um, you know, and so I mean, it just offers amenities. So the, the amenities were great, um, but one of the things that that we really lacked 
in Wichita was authentic relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we had built a lot of those here. And so when we got to Wichita, there was the youth pastor and his wife, um, and they're still really, really good friends of ours. Um, and then there were two other couples, um, and, and neither of those went to the church that I was starting. They were already established at other churches. And so he's like, hey, if you want to come check it out, great. But like, by no means are we trying to steal you from, from another church. And so we just we really really struggled to develop that community, um, just for for us, you know, to have those those authentic relationships and to to build on those, um, just whether it be different life stages or geographically you're a little more, more spread out. So and I mean we've got two small kids and so you know we're everybody's in bed by eight o'clock and so like there there were just a whole bunch of different things and then there was a change in leadership here um with with the with the guy who took over for me um and so it was kind of a i don't even remember how the conversation started to well and I, I know one of the big things that changed kale how, how long were you in which i was at like two years full calendar year full calendar year is only one year yep okay so in that amount of time a lot had happened in terms of how the church was operating how services were operating social media, video, like this was, everything was really starting to boom. And and one of the internal conversations that we were having as a pastoral staff and we were having as, as a board was we no longer can staff for the growth of our church that has already happened. We have to begin to staff for the growth that is coming and that is happening and the change that is happening. And so instead of having one position doing all of these things that we talked about earlier, it was very clear that this needed to be divided up into into different positions and multiple positions in some of the areas. And so I think that kind of leads us to, to what you're, you're going to talk about here, but there was a internal conversations happening here while you were in Wichita about we really need to restructure what our staff looks like. Mm-hmm. And so the timing of that was 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 really pretty pretty beneficial for the church and and for you when when that time came. Right. Um and so I, I don't remember I don't remember what what steps happened. Um yeah, I, I remember getting a, a phone call um just kind of explaining the situation that had happened and I I'm not gonna go into to detail, but um just kind of explain the situation. And so we were kind of on the outside looking in, but still somewhat oddly involved just because of relationships that we had built um, in Hayes. And so um, I think I remember talking to Brant and just kind of seeing like, is there anything that we can do? Um, I said, if there's anything that I can do to help or um, anything that I can be a resource for or, you know, whatever. And so I I think, like I said, I, I don't remember exactly how it happened. That kind of opened up the conversation. Like, Hey, what about, like, what if we move back to Hayes? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Sarah and I were having those kind of internal conversations anyway. Like, there were some things things happening at the church, and and the the church in Wichita was a Methodist church, and nothing against the the Methodist church, but there's just some things that like we don't align with, and and that's neither here nor there. And but there, there were just some oddities that had started to begin to happen. Um, there was there was an incoming change in leadership at the church and things and so it, it was just kind of like we just kind of felt like there was the writing on the wall like you know if, if we're if we're going to make a change this this might be a good time to do it and and so Sarah and I begin to have a conversation like well what if we did move back to Hayes mm-hmm. 
And so just having those internal conversations and then having conversations with, with Brant and with Kyle um, about what it might look like for us to, to move back and to join the team here again. Um, you know, one thing led to another, um, you know, had, we had a kind of a makeshift interview with, with the three of you, you, Kyle and Brant in Brant's mm-hmm. living room. Yep. Um, and then February 1st, 2015, we were back, but, but, but coming into it, knowing that my role was significantly different than it was going right. to be when I'd left after, after I had left and after everything had happened, you know, we had other people step up into worship leadership, Nathan, Nathan. Isaac, and I'm trying to think. It was just it was primarily you and you and Isaac, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. And so we already had very very capable worship leaders in place. And so the one thing I, I remember saying to I don't know if it was in that interview or if it was to one of one of you guys personally, but like I don't want to be the guy that comes in and just takes over because I was the previous worship leader. Like we've already got very very capable people in place. Right. Like I I don't want to be that guy just that seemingly thinks they're they're better than the other worship leaders we have in place and, and come and take over. Like I don't I don't want to be that guy. And then and that's that's where the conversation began of like, well, we have this other role that we're looking to staff in preparation for more growth. Um and that was the creative arts position and that kind of oversees all of that. That just kind of just kind of umbrellas, you know, all of our production, worship and tech and, you know, even like social media and the web and the app and like, I mean, all these other things that happen behind the scenes kind of fall under that umbrella. And so that's kind of where, where that position was. So we have kind of one more question within the flow and this probably will be the, the, the big kicker, right? So I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the biggest challenge to your faith since coming back to Hayes um, has been the, the sickness and then death of your dad. I'm not going to, structure to too much of this, but I just want to hear about how your life has changed through that process. Sure. Um, so I don't remember what year it was, um, but I'm pretty sure that my dad was diagnosed with ALS on Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, probably 2009, 2008, somewhere in there. Actually, I think it was 2008 because one of the reasons we named Isaac Isaac is because it means laughter. Right. And the, so, I mean, we were, we were literally bringing laughter back into our family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, it was kind of a cool moment. Um, but uh, my dad was diagnosed with ALS and, and battled it for a almost, I think almost eight years. Right. Um, and so one of the, one of the big benefits of us moving back in 2015 so we moved back in February 1st, 2015. My dad passed away April 1st right. of 2015. And so that, that was another big contributing factor. It was like, we, like it's, it's much easier to get from Hayes to Oakley than it is from Wichita to Oakley at a moment's notice. Right. Um, and, and we had that moment on, on April 1st. Um, I'm sitting at home, um, and I don't know if the kids had gotten home from school or what it was. Um, my sister called me and said, hey, you need to, you need to come home. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, Sarah was either getting ready to go on on a quick day business trip or whatever. And so so we got everything put together and just drove to Hayes. And we didn't know what to expect. We didn't know if this was just a, a scare or if, you know, if, if this was going to actually, like, happen. And so we get there and we're all just kind of hanging out. And then as the day progresses, it's, it's it becomes more and more obvious that he's not going to survive the day. Right. Um. 
And so, um, you know, and, and ALS takes such a different course depending on the person. Um, you know, with my dad, it started at his feet. And so they originally thought he had what's called drop foot where your feet don't hinge when, when you walk. Um, and then it slowly progressed up his body, you know, to where he would walk with a cane and then a walker. And then he had a little scooter that he would go longer distances in. And, and then, um, you know, for the last probably year or two years, probably, um, he was in a, a power chair, uh, full time. And, uh, and so like, I, I, I always struggled with the idea that if God was good, that he would heal my dad. Um, wow. yeah. you know, they're like, <laughs> my dad was a pastor, you know, like this is what he devoted his entire life to. Yeah. And, and there are, there are people that have experienced healing, um, in different areas of their lives. And there are people that deserve to, to contract ALS mm-hmm. far more deserving than my dad. Right. You know, you have, I, and, I, and I've said this and I, I regret saying it. You know, I, I, I'm, there were one time that I said, you know, there are people on death row that have killed people that have done incredibly terrible things mm-hmm. and they don't they don't have ALS, but my dad who devoted his entire life to preaching the gospel contracted, like, like that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, and that was, that was a really, really challenging, challenging thought is that if, if God is good, then this shouldn't be happening. Um, and that's, that's what I really, really struggle with was, was, was the goodness of God mm-hmm. and, the, and the faithfulness of God. Um, and so, um, you know, we, he passed away April 1st. I think we had, and, and it was right around Easter. Yeah. Um, I think it was the Wednesday. I think it was a Wednesday. I think it was the Wednesday before Easter. So we, he passed away. We stayed the night and kind of get, started getting things arranged for service and things like that and putting, you know, posting things on Facebook just so people were kind of aware because um, you know, there were a lot of people that, that knew uh, right away. And then, you know, obviously you have, you know, people show up and, and you know, dad's church board um, showed up to the house and things like that and just different people we, we had contacted and said, hey, this is kind of what's going on. Right. Um, so then Thursday we decided to come home and try to – just get through the weekend. And, and at that time we were still doing Easter services at beach Schmidt. And so I'm trying to get a couple of things put together, having rehearsal, um, you know, all morning on Saturday, um, and try just trying to get through right. like that. That that's one of those moments that I was just trying to get through. Like, and, 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 and I, and I was struggling with, with the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. And then the singing death of songs of victory, right, right, in the right. midst of something that felt like one of your greatest defeats, exactly. Um, and so, so I just, I kind of just sat on the on the wings of the stage and just kind of, kind of zoned out a little bit. If I'm being completely honest, um, get through the weekend, and then I think the funeral was on Monday. And you know, like one of the one of the wonderful things about this staff is that you know, everybody came down and was a part of my dad's service and like the entire staff, uh, came down, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the, for then for the next, gosh, I would probably say the next year 
I really, really struggled with is God still good? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know that people have, you know, I'm not the first person, I'm not going to be the last that has experienced the death of a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I, I don't pretend to sit here like I'm alone in this, in, in this world that, um, that I'm in. And so, um, but, but I did, I, I struggled with that, with the goodness of God. And I, and I, I think I, if, if I'm being completely honest, I would, I would say that I ventured close to losing my faith mm-hmm. for a while mm-hmm. that, that even though I was on staff at a church and even though that, you know, I'm, I'm helping, uh, you know, make sure Sunday mornings are happening that I, I, wa- I was just going through the motions. I was just, I was completely just a, a shell of, of what, of what I used to be. Um, and so, you know, just struggling with that, with the, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. Um, and, and even though we're singing songs about God's faithfulness, like I, I, I don't necessarily believe what I'm, what we're singing right now. Um, and so that, that was, yeah, that was a really, really, really big struggle of mine. So you you started to mention this, and I think that this kind of is a cue of of what God ha, has done in in your heart and in your perspective. Is you mentioned that that someone of of less good moral standing maybe deserves a, a different fate than people of of good moral standing, right? And then you said, I, I regretted thinking this. Mm-hmm. So why did you regret thinking something like that when, you know, traditional ethical the kind of knowledge would, would kind of lead into something like right. that? Um, you know, I, I think the first thought that comes to mind is this, just, that's just not very kind. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's a really awful right. thing to say. Um, but the, the more and more I thought about it, like... There have been more people that I can than I can count that have come up and and talked to me about the impact that my dad had on them. Yeah, and 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 it, you know people at the funeral that I didn't even know that that stood up or that wrote on my Facebook wall or wrote on mom's Facebook wall or whatever it was that talked about the impact that my dad had on them, and um. And then to be able to to walk with other people that are that have experienced or are experiencing the same thing that I did, maybe not in the same way, maybe you know, th- their parent didn't pass away because of ALS, but maybe right. it was a freak accident or whether it was cancer or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Yeah. That I can empathize with people in a in a much deeper way now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that I've that I've that I've never been able to do. I've never been able to really identify with with a lot of people's struggles because I I had a really really good upbringing, mm-hmm. you know. And and my my parents were always together. Like I never we never really faced any really challenge like you know like major challenges, um, at least that I could see from my you know adolescence. Um. And so I think being able to identify with people and just to know that I can, I can help them walk through what they're dealing with is, is, a, is a really big thing. And to know that my dad had impact and that, that his, his life held a 
very large significance in the lives of others. And there are peoples who eternity has been changed because of their relationship with my dad um, is, is a big deal. And, and then as, you know, as we, as we kind of started walking through just like what, you know, you kind of walk through that grief process, right? You know, you, you go through the, the different stages of grief and, and, and there are some that you pass through quickly and there are some that you sit and you just kind of wallow in for a while. Um, as I started to kind of move through those a little bit, excuse me, um, you're just, you're, you, God has a funny way of just reminding you and proving that he's faithful. And whether it be in, in you know, health or finances or just re- reminding you of where he's shown up in, in just different ways, you know, constantly being reminded of those, of those moments, those areas, I mean, really started to change my perspective on, on God's goodness. Could God heal my dad? Yes, absolutely. Why he chose not to, I don't know. But that's not for me to know. You know that that's that's not that's not an answer that I get to have. Right. Um, as as much as I would like to, as much as I want to, as much as I wish my dad was still here, that's not my call. Hmm. That that's that's not my decision. That the even even though my dad died. I can still point to moments and to significant areas in in my life, in in my family's life, where God has still proven Himself faithful, and where He's still proven Himself to be good, even though I don't know all of the answers. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think knowing that is that you know I I, I don't remember if it's a if it's a song but like God is still God whether whether I like whether I like it or not mm-hmm. and and whether he gives me all the answers I want whether he gives me everything I want or he is completely silent I'm that has no bearing on on his on his goodness that has no bearing on his faithfulness he's still he's still God you know scripture says he's the same yesterday today and forever so if that means he was faithful to Abraham in providing you know instead of having to sacrifice Isaac, that he provided a, a, a substitute sacrifice. If if Scripture is true and that he's the same yesterday, today, forever, then he's if he's faithful to Abraham, he's still going to be faithful to me. Yeah. You know, and so I think I think just reminding myself of that 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 if if I believe if I believe Scripture to be true, and I do, you know that that all the times that he's proven himself to be faithful to to people in Scripture means that he's still going to prove himself faithful to me. It might not be in the way that I want it to be, right. and it might not be the answer that I want it to be, but he's still good. So so I think I think what I'm hearing you you say, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Kale, but really what has helped you in that grief process and kind of moving forward in your faith, has that been the constant reminding yourself of who God is and that he is faithful and almost almost just having to do that and having to remind yourself that's led to that healing. Yeah, I think I think in a lot of ways yes because it's very easily to it's very easy to 
to sit in grief right. and to not come out of it. Sure. Um, you know, and, and, and grief comes in, in different seasons and it comes in different ways. And there are still moments that, that I'll just become, you know, I'll just get overwhelmed with emotion, right. you know, whether it, and I don't have, even have a great example right now, but I'm surprised I haven't broken down talking about them today. <laughs> so there's that. Um, but yeah, I think, I think just knowing that, that, whether God answers my prayer or not, that he's still good and that he, that he has this plan, right. you know, that, that he doesn't just do things on a whim. You know, God doesn't do things just willy nilly. Like yeah. he, he does think he has this plan and whether the plan includes my okay or not really has no bearing. Yeah. Like it's, you know, I have to, I have to trust that, that God's plan is, is perfect. Right. And that that his timing is perfect. And even though would I would I have loved to have dad for a couple more years? Absolutely. Yeah. But at the same time, that's that's not my decision to make. Sure. And and I mean I, I I don't know this for a fact, but maybe you know there there could be that maybe my dad's death helped lead somebody else to Christ. Sure. And if and if and I, I think my dad would would say that if if that were the case, then it was all worth it. Yeah. Um, but you know, like, I mean, my, my dad got to meet all three of my kids, you know, like, and, and, you know, like even my, my siblings can't, can't say that. Um, you know, and so there's just those small things that, that, that continually just remind you that, that even though it's not the way I wanted it to happen, that God's plan is still good, that, that he's still faithful and that, that he has, He's provided for us and he's protected us and that he's still he's still good through through all of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that one of the things that I've seen in this process of you coming back to Hayes and back to celebration is is I think that that one thing that was a blessing was you being able to be closer to your your dad um, in those final days. But I also think that that you being able to be back with those relationships that you talked about that were so important oh, yeah. to you and Sarah. Um, and I've seen that work both ways. I've seen you be supported by by people within our church, within our staff, within our community, and I've seen you be able to provide that because of your experience to people as well. And so I think that's another one of those things that um, when we look at when we take a step back and look at the whole picture, you know, talk about where has God been faithful. I think that's one of those things as well that maybe maybe our original plan of how everything was going to happen <laughs> didn't happen the way we thought it would. But God was still faithful in the midst of all of that. Yeah, I, I, I don't think, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think that I would have experienced the emotional healing that I have over the last couple of years. I don't think I would have experienced that in Wichita. Sure, at least not not in the timeline that I've experienced it here. Right, based on the the amount of like real authentic relationships that we had in Wichita, which were few. Um, and, and the ones that we did have, they're still intact, but they're, yeah. I mean, obviously we moved away. And so it's, it's more difficult to, to have those. Um, but I don't think the timeline would look much different. Sure. Um, if we were still in Wichita based on, based on being here and, and, and with people that have, I mean, really that have grown up with me. You know, I mean, 
you and I came on staff relatively close together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and obviously, you I mean, I'm, I was 19 when I, when I came on staff for the first time and I'm 34 now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so, so there, there have been, I mean, just these for, for the better part of my adult life, all those relationships that I have, that I have built and that have been built around me exist here in Hayes. Right. And so I don't, I don't think that, that I would have experienced anywhere near the amount of, of healing and restoration and, um, just, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, vantage point sure. in Wichita that I have here. Yeah, no, I I think that's I think that's uh, wise to to look at from that perspective. Kale, I want to thank you for your honesty and your transparency and in, in talking today about um, obviously some hard things, especially in regards to your dad, but also just your honesty and kind of those low moments of feeling like you're going through the motions. But um, there's growth that comes in our transparency and our honesty in that, and and you know I think that um, both you and I have been around here for a while. And I think we can say we're, we're in better places today than we were last a decade ago. Oh, uh, certainly. Yeah. And I, and I think ministry is, it's, it's a weird thing and, and it's hard. You know, I, I didn't realize like one of the reasons that I didn't want to be in ministry in the first place when I was growing up is because I saw what my dad had to go through. Sure. You know, I, I saw him growing up, and I saw people being mad at him Hard all the time. Stuff. And and obviously, he's a senior pastor. You you're going to piss people off. Um, but I, but I saw the time that he was putting in, and I saw that, you know, just the energy, and and just the amount of of things that you have to to keep track of or to balance. And so that that was one of the main reasons I didn't want to be in ministry in the first place because like I don't. I don't want to have to deal with that. Sure. Um, cause it didn't, it didn't look enjoyable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one of the things that people don't understand is that, that ministry ministry is challenging, um, both personally and relationally. Um, I, I've, I've said for a long time that if it weren't for the people, ministry would be incredible. <laughs> but well, and I think when we, you get into it at such a young age where it's kind of that, like, dream scenario of everything you're going to be able to do and yeah. the things you're going to be accomplished and you're going to, you know, you're going to go out and conquer the world and yeah. then reality hits and, yeah. and there takes, there's, there's growth that has to happen there to really understand what the calling is. Yeah. I mean, I, when, when I was a 19 year old worship leader, I was like, I'm going to start leading worship and then I'm going to get signed to a record right. deal. Somebody's going to find you in, I, in I, Hayes, Kansas. I'm going to, I'm going to make a bunch of money singing somebody else's songs. A lot of record execs stop by. I seven on I seventy <laughs> right here at our yeah, exit. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm be be singing to arenas full of people. And right. I was like, even if I'm opening for David Crowder, it's still I'm, pretty good. I'm still doing all right. <laughs> and and then, you know, you show up on a Sunday and you're singing to fifteen or twenty people at the eight o'clock service. You know, it's just like this is this is not the reality that I had in mind for myself. <laughs> but but I I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Like I wouldn't yeah. you know, we've uh, last summer, two summers ago, we were, Sarah had an opportunity. We were really, really close to moving to Kansas city because of Sarah's job. Um, and, and like she, she was the second runner up in the position. Um, but one of the big conversations we had was like, like, 
if if you get accepted this job, like, do we one do we take it for for your job, you know, and then two, like, are we ever ever going to find a church like this one hmm. in Kansas City? Like, and, and you we've we've heard people move away, like, oh, like we can't find a church like Celebration, like, I. I, I would agree to that to a point, but I, I think you can find churches that are similar to ours yeah. for like for our service type, but the relationship, you know, that like the, the unity that our staff has, the relationship that our staff has and the relationship that, that we have with people that attend church here. I don't, that, that would be impossible to duplicate mm. anywhere else. Yeah. I would agree with you. Just to close, what is one fun thing that you're working on right now? Personally or professionally? Yes. Um, I'm getting ready to buy a motorcycle, and I'm really, really excited about that. I know that's not something I'm working on. Please tell me. Sure, you are. You're, you're working on which jacket. one to buy. That's that's true. <laughs> what? Please tell me you have a leather jacket. I actually have one in my on. Amazon cart. Chaps. <laughs> Is it studded? Do you have? No, there's not. <laughs> yeah, it was spikes with spikes on the shoulder. Are, are we still recording? Yes. Oh, okay, never mind. Um. <laughs> No, I, I have I have a leather jacket in my Amazon cart right now. Um and it's it's really nice. But no, no studs, like just like a single zipper and then it has like the hoodie like liner built, built into in. it. So you could unzip it and have a little bit thinner, or you can have it zipped in and have like the hood. Yeah. Um it just doesn't look as cool on a bike <laughs> to be wearing well, <laughs> on a on a pedal bike, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Cale Bloom, Creative Arts Director at Celebration Church.